Right oh. on. We're ready to talk Georgia. Finally. So you've you've told Sopa that we talk about Barra all the time. I mentioned in the notes that... I think, I think you underplayed it. Uh, I you you downplayed it. That's a, that's a big thing. Did you tell her that the Barra's face is one of our Twitch emotes? There's a lot to explain about... Um, our, okay, my obsession with Barra Ivanishvili. Um, I think it's pretty understandable. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, He's a king. I don't know. I don't. Know I want to. I want to talk about him. We'll, we'll come back to him at the end. We yeah. will come back to him. At the I end. think he represents yeah. something about the uh, the post Soviet crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you guys can enlighten um, me because I like barely mm. even like keep up with it. Like I don't care at all about Pera. <laughs> so like I'm very curious as to why you guys <laughs> really seem to love it. Oh. <laughs> so. Strap in. I would so love for this podcast to just be us inviting very like, you know, interesting, European very interesting guests on characters. and then just for me to corner them explaining Bera Ivanishvili. Uh, what is there to explain? The man was born in Paris uh, he still does a lot of his music and raps in French. That's true. Um, he has a TikTok that he supposedly shares with his wife, but she does not use it. Um, only he uses it. <laughs> She's in it. it, though. She's in it. Because they do cosplay. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he likes to dress up as anime characters that also have white hair. What was named first, the song or the party? We have some, some controversy over this. Yeah, we don't know the ti- timeline, but... You are aware he has a song and record label called Georgian Dream, and it does appear to be earlier than the political party. <laughs> I don't know if this is widely known. That's Getting funny. Inspired by your That's son. so funny. The, the other part is, and I forget the name, but like the Secret Service, basically. What is it the in, in Georgia? Do you oh, remember? I, I forgot the name, but the the where he basically got like the um. National Guard or something, I've forgotten the name, to like harass his critics that were like mean to him online. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was going yeah. around. We're all on the same page. All right, so I just have like poorly Google translated a Georgian article and like misunderstood it. That did happen. Good. All right. I wish my dad would name a political party after my what? side project. The corner spady party. <laughs> the corner spady party. Yeah, well, right. There's like a like I don't know if that's true, but there's also this thing about Sagashuli where his kid was like making something with Legos. He was like, "That's pretty great," and then he like built that. <laughs> and so like, no. there's a lot of like these children and parents, and I mean at least rumors that they're being inspired by children's their children's Legos or you know. <laughs> Albums Children and so on. <laughs> um, That's amazing. That was yeah. Wonderful. That's, I, I gotta get your ideas huh. from somewhere. Yeah. Um, also, the current my kids really into Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. Uh, don't don't make political legislation. Like, there is there is an argument to be. You know, you have all this land. You should use it as real. <laughs> That's you know that's a tourist economy. If you want, I think you're thinking of Minecraft. Do real life Fortnite. Yeah, Minecraft. Yeah, right. yeah. No, people could drop in. To a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Oh, oh yeah, that's oh, a bad no. inspiration. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, isn't also the current prime minister also like majority shareholder of Barra's um, record label? 
It's a whole thing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we didn't come here to talk Barra, to talk shop, a.k.a. To, talk Barra. He also has a Legalize It song, which I guess we can talk about that um, later. Hey, 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 welcome to your weekly Corner Spady. It's me, Kieran, and I'm joined by Yulia. Hi. Nick. Hi. And Rob. Yo. And we're also joined by journalist and union, organiz- uh, union organizer, uh, Sopo Japaritze. How's things going over there? And you're in Tbilisi, right? Yes, yes, I'm here. Excellent. Um, okay, there's a bit of a lag, but we can we can deal with that. We can do this. <laughs> so one of the things we wanted to talk about um, is basically Georgia, the entire country. <laughs> Let's try and understand it in one hour-long podcast. I think we can do it. Uh, but mostly modern Georgian politics. And uh, I've been listening to Reimagining Soviet Georgia, uh, um, which Sopo runs and is like a great podcast. I've been finding that very useful, uh, as well as your appearance on um, what's that called again? Red Star in the East. Red Star over Asia, I think. Uh, yeah, and I would like to basically just talk about, in the light of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what something similar to that, although not really entirely the same, how that affects politics years after the the event um so yeah i guess the 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 first how do we want to start this we want to start with like the very beginning yeah i mean i think we have to i think we'll keep going back in time so we have to okay stop ourselves i still like the idea of sakashvili i think his era kind of like both what led up to him and what comes after him and cap encapsulate it seems like the dynamics um of the modern georgian state Sopo has a very good article in Jacobin, which we'll put in the show notes about it. Um, but yeah, we have to we have to start with yeah from from the very beginning, I guess, of post Soviet Georgia. <laughs> but yeah, post Soviet Georgia, we can't start the very very beginning. no that yeah that would take. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm actually I'm very curious because this is a, this is a character that I I've basically or I should say character, but. A person I basically know nothing about, which was the very brief leader of a recently independent Georgia. Um, I'm going to butcher this name. Um, Zviad Gama. Oh, God, no. Uh, Gamsa Khurdia. Khurdia. Gamsa Khurdia. Gamsa Khurdia. So Zviad, (laughs) our our boy, uh, first president of independent Georgia, and from a lot of writing seems to be kind of the beginning of this uh, uh, or a very strong beginning uh, uh, of the like nationalist kind of idea of Georgia, like Georgian nationalism. Um, I'm just wondering what you could tell us about uh, uh, this guy, if anything, Sopa. Yeah, so (laughs) Zviad is like if you read his stuff and you're not Georgian, you know, you think he's a fascist, but like if you're Georgian, you get like <laughs> romantic like feelings from it, you know, because that's how like oh, nationalism okay. works. Right. So like, yeah. jo- like Khurdia had been a so-called dissident, you know, for a long time it comes from like a prominent family or he came from prominent family, uh, True story, my uncle and he were in a revolutionary organization uh, that tried to, so were, had plans, and they were like 14 or 15 year old kids, tried to overthrow 
um, at that time was de-Stalinization happening and they had like, they were arrested and then set free. Um, and that was like the first attempt the, where Gamsa Khurdi was like forging himself. My uncle actually was, was uh, well, like split off from him because he became so xenophobic and, you know, started really this Georgia for Georgians kind of thing. Um, but, you know, it's funny because the nationalist movement, it was actually started because of de-Stalinization, this protecting of, of Stalin's memory from de-Stalinization and then turn into anti-Stalin to anti-Soviet to then some kind of mythological Georgia that never existed. It's like, pining for a world that never existed but that's like a lot of nationalism is it some kind of golden era that never happened that you are trying to recreate um and zviad at the end uh he i mean he also just seems like an incredibly erratic personality you know he started also lashing out at the west as well and they hated him he also then started um going after ethnic minorities causing a lot of aggressive acts there's this incredible video and, and I wish everyone could see it. At least like, I want to translate that one day. I'm going to translate it into English because it is one of the best documents. Um, it's a really long video, like two and a half hours. Maybe it's called um, like a decency court, I guess, or dignity court where it's um, okay. where it's about, it's like Zviad and this whole like national movement and they're like in this apartment and it's like very very like post-Soviet Soviet kind of apartment it's actually a little earlier I think it was before um, Soviet Union collapsed at that point but they're in this like room many of them like all the the bright shining leaders who are now our heroes and they just scream at each other, accusing each other of being KGB agents. I have never seen anything better <laughs> in my life. It's my goal. I will sit down and I will translate this because it is the, it should be a play. Like it is incredible. My uncle was there too, actually. I saw him like in the background, but like literally it's like they sit there and it's just like, it's like Zviad's guys. And there's like a, the posing one, you know, like posing guys. And they just like, mm just do these crazy antics like screaming at each other doing like these body whatever like moving their shaking their bodies in anger and doing these speeches and and whatever it's crazy it's really is insane and we have never been able to move away from no you're a kgb agent in like 30 years (laughs) like literally that video is like it continues on and on because if you say anything somebody will accuse you of being a kgb agent a Russian agent and everybody thinks like if you ask a lot of Georgian dream party they'll say UNM is actually pro-Russia because they tried to destabilize Georgia and they started the 2008 war to destabilize Georgia if you ask UNM you know Saakashvili's party they'll say Georgian dream is a is a Russian run KGB like party and so it's just like no matter what happens what you do everything can be traced back to somehow it suits Russia. So if you're against the war, if you're for the war, if you do this, if you don't do this, and it's like, it's hard for me to take any of those charges seriously. Because every time anyone's ever tried to explain how Russia was involved, they sound crazy to me, you know, because they devolve into conspiracies. And so that's why I have this like 
a lot, mm, let's say, uh, I have a bigger shield, you know, for when people try to start claiming that somebody's uh, pro-Russian or not. I'm like, just show me the facts, ma'am, you know, like just the facts, because it's often used to smear each other. And, and you just become, I don't know what's going on at the end, you know, just devolves into nothingness. Can I ask a quick question? Um, what you said about the, the dissident movement, or I'm not sure the national movement, starting with like a pro Stalin position during de-Stalinization. Yeah. Can you explain that quickly? Cause that seems like well, such a strange journey. On the, it doesn't very, I, mean, no, I mean, very yes, particularly Georgian. So. I know, but like, yeah, yeah. That's, fast, that's fascinating. Well, they took uh, de-Stalinization of Khrushchev as an affront to to Georgians. Like, this was an attempt to um, go after Georgians, remove them from, from offices, to uh, shrink our influence. Because, you know, like, <laughs> my, my co-host and I... In our podcast, we joke like Georgians ran the Soviet Union. You know what I mean? Like it was like it was a no matter what now that they all say, oh, we were the victims. Of course, everyone's saying that now, you know, Um, Mm. but Georgians were a huge part of Soviet Union and they had a huge reach. I like if you look at nationalism and this is why a lot of nationalists like Stalin is because if you don't look at nationalism as only within your borders, confined within your borders, then the Soviet Union was probably one of the farthest reaching nationalist Georgian projects, right? Because they had Georgians like Stalin <laughs> or Jorikidze, like Beria, they ran, you know, a huge amount of, of, of the, of the globe. You know, they had unprecedented powers. And so if you, depends how you define nationalism and, and how you see it, but no Georgian's ever going to be as famous as Stalin, right? I mean, it's just never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's definitely it's definitely something that's like immediately noticeable if you try to um, be a bit psychotic like me and pay attention to the politics of like every country in what you could call Europe. And then I just like set up Google alerts for Georgia, and it's always just the state in the U.S. and never the country um so that's it's it's very easy to kind of yeah i i can i can definitely agree with that um but sviet is this kind of character uh and it's really interesting this kind of like nationalism coming from like a reaction to destalinization um but they changed their mind i'm so sorry they they afterwards they start reading you know radio freedom or listening to radio freedom and then they tell him that Stalin was a bad guy. And a lot of them were like, oh, my God, I didn't know Stalin was such a bad person. And so they kind of abandoned <laughs> him. It's so funny because, uh, you know, this East-West stuff, they're always like Western this and Eastern that. Funny story is that the West is the one, are the ones who told people in the Soviet Union that they were oppressed. Like, they didn't come up with this. They literally were told. And then took some voices from the Soviet Union and published them and reprinted them and got those wor- like words out, you know, got those stories out, like mm. the famous Gulag Archipelago and so on, and reproduced oh, yeah. that narrative of what Soviet Union was. It is, I, for me, it's, a, it's 80% a Western project, you know? And so, like, it's this interesting thing where they'll claim, like, these are the local voices saying this. And it's like, 
mm, not really. It's sort of like you put that, you specifically targeted, had illegal newspapers, had all this like certain narrative going in. You gave power to certain narratives over others. You republished it. You gave a coverage and you distributed it. And so nothing is authentic. Nothing is this organic. And that's the truth. And that's, you know, we know this. I know this. But like still this happens again, especially for Ukraine is like, why are Western Marxists saying this? And why is the Western left? Like just ask people only who are in Ukraine or something, you know, that's the local, that's the agency. Those are the authentic voices, but that's, that's a lie as well. You know, all of this is very much manufactured, you know, it's our, our good old Chomsky. It's all manufactured consent, manufactured like ideas and narratives, you know, I mean, we haven't moved past that. Well, yeah, like where it's just like we we need to listen to the voices of Ukraine. No, not that voice of the Ukraine. I want you to listen to my friend. <laughs> Only these voices. Yeah, yeah. Gleb Freikor, um, <laughs> my have, friend from Al Jazeera. We have these certain guys yeah. here. I think that that's also too just like a, like I mean, because our show is in Germany, mm. and we've noticed that similar, maybe not like exactly the same. Um, oh, like American conceptions of what Germany is yeah. like. Oh, versus, no, 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 of East Germany. Oh, you know, yeah. especially oh, yeah. just historical things that then when you speak to a lot of people, I mean, there's obviously a split depending what the generational there gap are a lot is of people who really but enjoyed living exactly in the yeah so when it's like when you're from like you know like if you're like you know from further west or like the u.s and you like meet like an older east german they're like yeah it was better in east germany for like you know secu- like you know social like security reasons yeah. the average american or brit just like you know has their like hat spin off their head well, like, like, we in ireland definitely get like none of those like opinions yeah. ever made it that far yeah, yeah. um but um I also, I really do love the, like, this idea in Georgia of everyone being accused of being, like, KGP or pro-Russian <laughs> because it is amazing how that is, like, weaponized in everything that you could call, quote, Eastern Europe because that was the exact same with um, Babish in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. Like, all the opposition yeah, to... Yeah. He's not a great person, don't get me wrong. Oh. <laughs> but, like, all the opposition to Babish in the Czech Republic was, like, he used to work for Czechoslovakian secret intelligence or whatever they were called. I can't remember. Um, okay. But moving on to history, uh, um, Sviad is only like in charge for three years or so. He, he's he's taken out in a coup in 92. And then we get someone, I believe your podcast called the uh, um, the architect of the collapse of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, Edward Shavadnadze. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. And he's basically in charge for... Well, like nineteen, like nineteen ninety two, uh, officially so actually democratically yeah. put in charge in ninety five, and then two thousand three is he's DC with the Rose Revolution, and um, we kind of open this podcast with chats of Barrett Ivanishvili, but I I just want to take it from the Wikipedia that the main reason he was overthrown because he had a government that was corrupt and full of nepotism, so I'm glad that's gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm actually curious. What was his role within the Soviet Union before he became he came back to Georgia? Well, he ran so Soviet Georgia in the late seventies, I think early eighties. He actually was one of the so-called Western-oriented voices in the Soviet Union, um, and even though he's looked upon now as sort of being this 
I don't know how he, you know, things change so quickly, but he was a very anti-Russia kind of person that became a, now looked upon as, as opposed to Saakashvili who came after as like, almost like he was the more pro-Russia person compared to Saakashvili. But he, you know, um, sorry, Shevardnadze was like the guy that kind of brought instability so after this experiment of having this like rabid nationalist Gamsahudia, who also just seemed to, not only did he really increase tensions and led to sort of ethnic cleansings on both sides of, you know, from Abkhazia, Ossetia, and Georgia, um, they really wanted someone who was a more distinguished politician to like calm which was, I think, a correct, um, correct decision by, by the Georgians themselves who were part of the coup to like welcome in uh, Shevardnadze, who maintained peace. Uh, but let's say I think Georgia has this like two modes. So they get these like very hot-headed leaders who cause too much change too quickly and usually often in bad positions. And then they have this opposite pensions, which is like having a, a more stable um, leadership that's like neither here nor there, you know, just kind of just stabilizes. And I kind of look at Gamsa Khurdia as like that kind of adventurous, adventurous leader. And Shevardnadze is that calming one. And Saakashvili is the adventurous and Georgian Dream is the calming one, you know? So it's like every time we get like the crazy guy, then we get like the slightly less crazy guy, you know, like that seems to be the pattern, you know? And then people get bored with stability. So they elect that, you know, crazy guy again, crazy guy makes things too crazy. So then they like, elect the guy who's going to calm it down. And so it just seems like that's the, the four leaderships that we've had, the four governments seem to look like that. Um, and so Shevard Nadze, I think, did good job of calming things down, but uh, what they call corruption. And corruption is like, to me, I don't really like corruption. The way things are framed around corruption, I think is very alarming because it's often... Uh, incorrect. I don't know if you listened to their episode about healthcare and corruption and how they made like everything yeah. into this corrupt thing. And it was just like, um, it, I feel like it just works against people. So they often like go after people. Is, yeah. yeah, go ahead. It's actually, yeah, a situation that also happened in Poland um, that like, um, because a lot of like um, thing, things were done like under, under the table or something like yeah. that is how you gain access to certain healthcare procedures, etc. And when that was targeted, especially by, by like Western-led organizations like Transparency International and stuff like that, mm. a lot of those accesses were gone. Yeah. You know, because it was like put under this like corruption uh, terminology. Yeah. yeah, and only the elite stay corrupt. And so what it does is really actually yeah. limit access to poorer people. And also just yeah, like... Exactly. It's, it's, is it like corruption when like example? Okay. Um, I like this a lot because this guy said it, he was like the doctors were for a long time, they were receiving all these like, and they were gifts. They were just like, like, how can you even call it corrupt? I'm sorry, but it's like chocolates. Okay. And like tangerines yeah. and stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, it's yeah, like, oh, the corruption. <laughs> and okay. So, and there was of course money too, but often it wasn't like, it really was not as like severe. 
And then yeah, exactly. that was like, um, they, the doctors decided that they were uncomfortable because they're professionals, right? And they're doctors. Yeah. So they were like, we don't, we don't want to be receiving bribes. That's undignified. You know, we're professionals. So we'll just, <laughs> so we'll do this. We'll just charge fees for our services. And that's what they did. So yeah. instead of like it being bribery, now you paid for it. And that's how they get rid of corruption is made it legal. <laughs> like called it yeah. a fee. I think one of the, f- called it a medical fee. And now you have to pay it. And before, <laughs> well, before it was might have been like optional. Yeah. Yeah. Was the was the fee less than a cost of box of chocolates? <laughs> because more, I feel I see a, a glaring problem. Yeah, yeah okay, there we go. <laughs> I think I think also like I mean just on the on the talk of that then it's like, you know, nations that aren't corrupt, you know, you know, back to you know, Germany especially is one of the funniest, is that um, no corruption here. Yeah, you can get me? money directly from BMW as long as you yeah. declare it as a politician. Yeah. Yeah. So there's people who get millions of dollars directly from, you know, coal companies bmw you know that are just directly to their accounts but as long as it's just listed of like yeah bmw gave me a donation of you know four million euros that's then a okay (laughs) well it's always the case when like corruption is talked about with like the post-soviet states or eastern europe in general is it's it's always like no you're you're like you're doing it wrong. It's called lobbying. You're like, yeah, you're yeah, Germany yeah. doesn't even have that though, which is That's the funniest the thing. thing is that it's a direct check to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, yeah. it's not even like the U S where Why you have to do die lobby- me first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's the thing I just find is the funniest is that then Germany seems like the gold standard of democracy, but it has like the dumbest, just straight up corruption of like elites that yeah. everyone ignores. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, <laughs> I think privatizing everything was, they thought was like, oh, it's not corruption. Everything's privatized and you just have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, which led to serious crisis. People couldn't afford it anymore. Um, couldn't afford many services. And we know very well that corruption stayed and actually got legalized and strengthened at the top. And while everybody on the bottom kind of suffered through that. So yeah, this is how they solved corruption, always at the cost of poor people and that's why i don't like the term corruption though i would say probably there was lots of theft in during shevardnadze shevardnadze um has that politics of like he just let everybody sort of eat from the pie you know to keep everyone happy and wasn't like restricting Mm. it from that or that and that is also a method of 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 rule you know of yeah keeping certain i mean that like yeah, that was always the the thing with the there's a proper name for it of just like like how Gaddafi kept control and stuff like mm. that. It was like just keep the jobs coming and everything's kind of like fine. I actually have a question concerning that because like when when it comes to the transformation years like from from Soviet Georgia to Georgia now, um, uh, unions didn't play a big role in that, right? It was more like church and cultural leaders, wasn't it? Yes, you're very lucky in Poland because you actually had, despite what Solidarność is now, <laughs> um, you're lucky because you actually had working class politics that was against Soviet, well, at that point, at one point, turned against the uh, Soviet Union and socialism. And so you just have the people that that were the leaders of 
um, destroying the Soviet Union, or at least uh, like maybe not directly destroying, but like part of the protests are the ones that emerge as the winners in post-Soviet world. So Mm -hmm. in Georgia, it looks like nationalism and it looks like the strengthening of the church and which is exactly what we have now we have church that's really strong that's always like has really regressive politics um but like people are very poor and that's like they 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 need spirituality even more because they're so poor and despondent and nothing ha- seems to ever go right in this country so of course there are more and more people who never even like the church have turned to the church as a saving grace for them mm-hmm. um and then, then we have hyper-nationalists who are divided both the pro-church and anti-church. And this, the problem with almost all of this, I think Ukraine falls into this, is that entire uh, nationhood building of the post-Soviet communist countries has been hating Russia and hating, and ha- hating Soviet Union. It's a negative um, sort of nation building, right? And what happened is everyone sort of, clean their hands on russia like they're like georgians we were never the bad guys russians made us do it you know like we were the victims <laughs> polish said the oh, same yeah, thing polish. ukrainians <laughs> did the same thing like we were like yeah. we're the good guys <laughs> russians are the ones who made us do it and so in this weird yeah. way russia got like stuck with the legacy of soviet union and all these smaller countries were like well, no not us which was a lie everybody was pretty well you know while the while it was uh, soviet union and post uh, you know soviet bloc were present georgia was definitely very much a big part of it and so that's what happened i think that left, i think a lot of those politics are never talked about how how it's playing out now you know it's like russia got stuck with the soviet legacy then, then the whole, uh, like we had an episode on this, this anti-communist uh, decommunization stuff that happened. And yeah, like illustration in Poland. and Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about going after um, everything bad being tied to Russia, then saying how World War II, like the, the, the heroes, right, of like the ones who defeated fascism. That was the Soviet Union, right? And all of a sudden you have them saying that Stalin was in a pact with Hitler. Like that was like the only, uh, like, that's like, like you'd have to be like, I don't know, very dense to really think that was like pact was actually with Hitler and not like trying to keep them at bay. Cause you know, you have no industry and the H- Hitler's about to run you over, you know, like, of course that was a pragmatic Also the decision. last country to sign a treaty with. The- what? The Soviet Union was also the last country to sign. A yes, treaty of course, with and Nazi knew. Germany. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the <laughs> thing. Else was- but there's so much I could talk about. That that's like another episode I could dedicate to me being super <laughs> angry <laughs> about that. <laughs> but that's been like no. the. But you know, this decommunization, outlawing that, and saying that Russia was and Russia isn't becoming synonymous Soviet Union because all of us were just captive nations, right? We just all fled. Like that's another <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> And so we're like, these bad Russians have been, you know, they're actually Nazi collaborators. They have completely and utterly these smaller countries, especially like Poland, Lithuania, at least Baltic states. They have been leading the charge to, to take away even, even their notions of heroism. That's the only thing there. Russia has been just like Georgia. Well, not as bad. Of course, Russia is super rich compared to us, have been 
completely bulldozed by neoliberalism, right? And like, that's the only thing that these people have got going is like some kind of notion, at least where the good guys defeated World War II. And that's been even taken away from them. You know, like there's a lot that is happening. And of course we were, we're told, you know, 30 years we're going towards Europe and we're going to be saved. And we have a bright future because we're a bright, wonderful, democratic people who just love entrepreneur entrepreneurship, right? Like, like we have this story about how awesome we are. And that's just, it's crazy. Like all of this is just like, I'm just like watching everything. I'm like, what is wrong with everyone? Has everyone lost their mind? Like it is so obvious what has been happening and how everything has emerged, you know? And this denial of this. And it's just like, oh, Putin's just insane. Like nothing happened, you know? Like, oh, and all of everyone's a victim. And it's just like, yeah, you can, you can condemn actions you don't have to justify things but we should really look at what's Mm -hmm. been happening you know there has been a lot not just territorial i think there's easy to focus on this territorial stuff because i think it's like hard to say you have been morally you know bankrupting us for a long time you know saying like you have tried to take away our sense of self um, and you have been focused on punishment and this anti-soviet stuff has leaked into now sort of blaming everything on Russia, where it's like the Soviet Union was the one that they really were after, but they have, the Soviet Union hasn't been around for 30 years. They had to sort of find somebody to like stand in for all this, Um, you know, somebody to blame and somebody to, to convict, you know, Um, and all of the nation building has been that we are victims. And then the Western funds keep coming in, rolling in to do more and more, you know, um, excavations of mass graves right like that's all all soviet like researches finding graves and saying stalin killed people stalin who has been clearly no longer georgian to some people right referred to as russian often like i I don't even know how this stuff works (laughs) like who gets to be georgian who's russian i don't know (laughs) well that's a um it's it's that bind that i feel like a a a lot of the Eastern European countries post-Soviet Union were like put into of like building this national identity that like because the anti-communism was so built in like had to ignore what like about 60, 70 years of its history and just That's say... That's why you go back to the great mythological the yeah, yeah. times that never existed like but Hungary. Like, when, you, when you focus on like what a lot of the Central European countries do of like focusing mm. on the interwar period you oh, then yeah. also have to like <laughs> deny what happened in World War II because all those national heroes during the interwar period Ooh, yeah. start doing pretty dodgy Except stuff. Except for if you're Polish and you make this video, the the oh, unconquered. The, 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 the Sean Bean. Bean. Yeah. 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 I think one of the weirdest things too about that as well is this like bizarre false, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but there's this really interesting thing um, when Yulia lived in Latvia and every time mm-hmm. like visiting, um, you always hear this narrative in the West continuously that then every like every country that was a part of the Soviet Union didn't have culture anymore. They were like Russified. But then like that, like that, that I'm sorry. They like had their not like, I, I, I get that the governing structures of the Soviet Union were centralized around Moscow to some degree, but the, like they still did everything in their own language. They still did like cultural things still were very much Latvian or Lithuanian or whatever, depending, I mean, possibly changing to some regard, depending on who was the head of the Soviet Union. Mm. But there is like a massive, like, that's like the one thing I just don't understand of all this is that then they're like, 
this robbing of culture that like kind of never actually does happen is then like in this like made up cold war period as well of like oh we were never actually latvian it's like okay well the independent country of this may have not technically existed it was a soviet republic but it wasn't there was like you know like a purging of everything that then was not russian in these cultures either you know like yeah especially in the sense too like i mean ukraine's a great example of how many how many people who are ukrainian end up in like the upper echelons than two of the soviet unions are like probably ukrainian as well you know like i don't know the, the, the whole narrative around itself then is built up i would argue probably also primarily by the west is so easy to like you know when you do scratch the surface of it, it's like oh yeah you're just looking for this mythical magical you know other that exists that's either like ancient history you know ultra nationalism or yeah like you said the the heroes of don't look too much into them who are they really doing in world war Two between the years of 1939 and 1945 yeah um so i i think that before we go to the rose revolution i think rob has one very- <laughs> yeah. no i just wanted to ask real quick because it was in your open democracy article which is the story of Hillary Clinton's brothers and the deal with the local governor of uh, Ajana, is it right? Ajara, yeah. Uh, Ajara, yeah. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, about the, and I have to double check here, um, hazelnut, hazelnut processing business. <laughs> um, That's a big business. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm sure. I mean, like, no, I mean, before we go into that particular story, that's like the only reason they kind of entertain turkey join the eu is because italy keeps insisting on it because mm. nutella mm. because uh-huh. turkey makes makes all the hazelnuts now and the biggest the richest company in fucking italy is fucking ferrero <laughs> um but sorry I, i'm i'm here i, I want to hear the story no could you could you explain that like what it stuck out to me is okay this is the 90s in georgia but i i want you to like just explain the anecdote or also like what what should we take from this from this period in the 1990s with this I don't know, strange geopolitical, but also like, I don't know, business interests, I guess, in, in these like elite hands. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't remember the exact details of that, but uh, I'll tell you exactly the tendency, which is, you know, Clinton's like administration was uh, very much tied to post-Soviet getting rich quick, kind of. A lot of the, like I wrote about, uh, I think maybe it's in that article, but I wrote about the the Frontera Corporation, this American American oil and gas that's here. That was actually started by one of the advisors, um, and who had made this entire like uh, pipeline to evade Russia as like a strategic move, let's say. So it was like it was a lot of mixture of this anti-Russian like especially in, in Georgia and Azerbaijan, right, in this area, caucuses, was this like a little bit of strategy, you know, trying to keep the Cold War alive. And this was actually Shevardnadze's advisor that came up with this whole pipeline. And then also having, you know, business deals like the hazelnut business and like trying to control some of that oil and make that money off it, who then ended up Azerbaijan nationalized oil was like, no, you're not getting any of this very smartly, of course, you know, (laughs) despite Azerbaijan being a pretty terrible government, but like they nationalized and that's smart. So should have Georgians, but Georgians didn't have much oil either. There was not that much oil and gas in there. Uh, And then it became a quick 
uh, it was like a pyramid scheme. You know, it was like a pump. It's called like pump and dump actually is the correct term where that you convince investors there's more there. So they invest. So you make more money off the stocks than bef- instead of the actual oil. Uh, and so that's like in that, in that vein where you also probably know about the Harvard consulting, right? In Russia, how they stole people, like stole lots of money and knew about the corruption. Do you know about this incident? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should, yeah, you should look it up. The, the Harvard consulting that was like, <laughs> like they sent in their finest, right? American top, you know, economists, business people to help advise a transition, you know, to a free market economy. And of course they were all stealing as well. Um, and knew about and looked away from all the corruption now that they have a problem with. And that's just what everyone was doing. It's like, you know, I call them the carpet beggars, you know, like the, in the South, if you know, after a civil war, all these Northerners descended on the South to take, to take advantage of business and like sort of exploit the post slavery South. They were called carpet beggars. Mm -hmm. And so I call Americans carpet beggars that came in trying to make quick bucks use uh, use local resources local knowledge and then at the same time pretend they're somehow spreading democracy right and that's what's been the legacy over here this idea that somehow like Russians or Georgians are naturally corrupt is a lie right we can you imagine not knowing anything about free market uh, free markets or anything about capitalism, really. You live in a Soviet Union. One day, it's just close up shop. And then all these people come as advisors. And you trust the West because you think that you've been told that they're the good guys. And they start advising you. And they start telling you, you should do this, you should do that. Some people are Hillary Clinton's brother. Some people are, are in the administrator. <laughs> Some people are in Harvard. And that's, that's the legacy. And somehow all of this has been lost. We can't even talk about that anymore, you know. But that's what happened. There were actually situations where people would like because they were seeing what these advisors were doing, how they were like meeting. It wasn't I, I can only like speak of Poland right now in Czech Republic. Um, they would like dress up in, in like fancy suits, um, like the advisors that were sent by Washington um, to advise for, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for the transformation time. Um, and then people would also start dressing up in suits. And go to these advisors meet and and play advisors basically to get <laughs> because they would get funding that way yeah. you know so yeah this is the, this is <laughs> the, this is Rob's whenever we talk about the richest guy in a, 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 an Eastern European country it was the competition of who could do a handshake the best yeah. yeah I like I like the idea of just like all of like Central and Eastern Europe just like doing the plot of catch me if you can just like <laughs> yeah, a thousand just, times yeah. over yeah I mean a handful of people did <laughs> like even the Austrian did that the, until oh, they, yeah until they course. invented red bull the richest guy in austria was a guy who smuggled in like uh casino machines to austria <laughs> like, it's all it's all scams um yeah so yeah thankfully one man put an end to all of this damn Mikhail Saakashvili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh this this i guess leads us to the rose revolution mm-hmm. which uh um Kind of a romantic name, actually. <laughs> it is a romantic name, but I looked oh. up its, its name. Yes, he literally. Yeah, I know what it's rose. based on. But... Yeah, <laughs> it's the most. Um, 
theater catch thing yeah, I've ever heard in my life. I'm just like, Dude, he storms Georgia into a It's pot. literally theater kids. Like, that's what Georgia is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Storming the pot of men with a rose. In. Episode title. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, but he, he. It's actually the rose revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's only rose if it comes to the rose region of France. Um, <laughs> but okay, so this is, this is. This is one of your important color revolutions, one of the the early ones, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, um, so, yeah, I guess this is a revolution. We can we can kind of talk about what this uh, revolution supposedly stood for, but I, I think this is probably a good a time as any, as Rob has alluded to, introduce the character that is uh, Sakashvili. Um, yeah, how do you describe this man other than <laughs> Georgian Andy Garcia? <laughs> God. He's a uh, dead ringer. That was good casting. <laughs> so, Sakashuri is like, I mean, I don't know. He's kind of like Trump, but like less funny, you know? Like, oh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Yeah. Because Trump's the only redeeming quality of Trump that he's hysterically funny. But, yeah. um, wait, so, <laughs> so he's, he's like, and incre- like he comes in as a status. What's interesting about him is that I, I think I wrote about this. I forget the things I write, <laughs> like, but it's like he's a statist at first, and he slowly becomes more like libertarian oriented. I think because he's just, if you understand his character now, is like you gotta just he puts the feels out for what's dominant globally, you know, and he sort of pivots to that. So he's kind of an opportunistic status kind of guy. Because at first he comes in, I think he even like threatens, like has like a very t- like a tense uh, discussion saying to, I think to US like BP pipeline stuff where like he says like, do you think we're just like a banana republic? Do you think we're just going to do what you want? You know? And then he literally becomes that, you know, because he realizes yeah. there's no other way out. You know, like yeah. he becomes more and more, but he does this thing where Misha knows where we always say this difference between dream and Misha is that Misha knows that you have to show the West what they want to see, but behind the scenes you do the real work, you know? And so he would do all that like, yeah, I see I'm doing everything you said, but then he would actually have uh, funds. He was like, you know, through like taxing and, and, what's it called beating up or whatever threatening businessmen he was like getting extorting money from other people creating a fund when he needed it you know uh, use the repressive state apparatus but he also would uh give regular raises and have like but like not on the books like help for people and he would he would do things that were not on the books and in some ways actually we're not that bad, right? Like you should be, at least if you're, if you wanted to do a socialist or leftist perspective, you could do the model, reverse model, where you show you're doing all this to the West, but then do better things behind the model, right? Um, he was just doing worse things, you know? Um, but he also <laughs> understood that you couldn't actually develop a country with libertarian and neoliberal prescriptions. He knew that was never going to happen. So he was doing that just to show it while he was actually building a much more statist um, interventionist, I would say, things behind mm-hmm. behind the facade. But also he didn't have that much time and thankfully, and he also just, 
I think he got like, I think a lot, he was already so seemed unstable, but the man is a very unstable personality. You know, like I'm not sure how much he can really do. He seems to have his own personality that needs a lot of attention. And so there seems to be this like idea that I think he actually did want to do things for Georgia, but I think his own personality of being kind of nuts, like, like prevents some of those things. Um, And so, yeah, he definitely pivoted, but Bush really helped, you know, like the neocon really changed a lot of things. Like that was during the ascendance or maybe the, the last of really neocons. And, you know, they were really looking for that kind of, they love that underdog story. God, have you seen McCain Ugh, or Bush? They get like, oh, they just love the underdog. Little Georgia being Wait, attacked, you know, like didn't little they? Georgia. We're all Georgians now. Like they love that stuff, you know? Mm. Didn't he declare uh, McCain a national hero or some shit like that? Probably. They also, we have Georgia Bush <laughs> Highway. I, I we have Condoleezza Rice Way. You know, we have like all these streets named McCain, after. <laughs> Uh, but there's, there's, you know, you've got to, you got to have something for your, you know, your, your theory. So like Georgia Saakashvili was like perfect for them, you know, and he was just, mm-hmm. and he, it's funny because Misha is like so open. He literally says everything like it's in his head. He doesn't lie. He said, I would have been a nobody, a nobody lawyer in New York. Now I'm the president of Georgia. I could do whatever I want. I can meet all these famous people. I mean, like, he's like, I mean, he clearly realized that, like, you can have, you know, he didn't want to just go down to just history with no, with nothing, right? He wanted a legacy. And so you have to, like, understand how people are. I always, like, uh, pay attention to what motivates people. Is it money? Is it legacy? You know, it's like that kind of stuff is really important. And I think with Misha, it's like legacy and a lot of attention and obsession with this narcissist, classic narcissist, I think. So he kind of, he creates a tempo that you feel like things are changing, right? And so if they're changing or not for the worse, or even if they're changing, you don't really feel it. Like you don't know, but you feel things are moving because he's giving you that. He's making new buildings you know he's putting on fresh paint you know it's on the front only not the back but like but like he's making you feel like georgia's changing and i think people needed that like looking and listening to my my relatives were all like terrible politics all my family but uh listening to them you know it's like they they felt very lethargic and lost and so people who weren't getting by during shevard nadze uh, and plus there was like not steady light. It's like they didn't actually have electricity all the time. You know, there's a lot of hardship. So they needed to feel, even though it wasn't real. So the perception of movement sometimes is more important than actual movement. And so like, I can understand why he was very popular. Uh, I can mm. understand why people like him, but he is one of the worst uh, reformers that, not only destroyed progressive taxation, labor laws, you know, like uh, all of the institutes that were really important for workers. Um, you know, he, he, that decommunization, he made uh, like illegal with, uh, hammer and sickle communism, you know, all of that. So like a horrible figure, but I can also judge him on why he could be very popular and how white people liked him. I wish more people were able to have an objective point of view on people they didn't like. <laughs> but but here we are, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was quite charismatic, wasn't he? Like, he was able to... He, he, Wait, he was a guy that went to Ajara uh, and and actually mobilized people over there and and finally got the regional guy out. I forgot his name. Sorry. Yeah, the Abashite, head of Ajara. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. Abashite, yeah. And actually also got people like coming to to like the capital and actually like protests and stuff like that. So mm. he seemed like to really be good and movement building. He also like very successfully swooned like the entirety of the West. Yeah. Uh, he spoke English. And <laughs> oh my God, they studied it wasn't that great. Dude, the West has to have <laughs> higher standards, though. Come on. Like, how easily do these people get fooled, though? Like, oh, so no. easily. Oh, like, it, takes, it takes nothing. No, they love Navalny. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I love McDonald's and America's. Coca-Cola is great. And they're like, he's one of us. Like, I smoke Marlboro cigarettes. I like this Russian guy who's speaking about corruption the whole yeah. the time on his own YouTube channel. But it's like, you're that, right. This is 2003. Yeah. This is the the, neo, the rise of the neocons. This is like what it took. Yeah, it was like into Tiranoskaya. So, I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. It's, it's yeah. a whole thing. Oh, shit. I completely forgot that she was the, uh, she was the, the end speaker yeah. for... The CDU's party conference. Yeah. Just gonna ask uh, the Tishanovskaya. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they love like like Europeans and and and, and Brits and and Americans love anyone speaking horrible <laughs> english because like, one it makes them feel really good about themselves and but, two then it just justifies <laughs> their bad politics but i, I it, it's totally tied to language though because i all i can think about is the fact that like okay yeah he had terrible english but it was enough to swoon like george bush and condoleezza rice but at the same time like before before february of this year every analysis of like ukraine crisis was like pro-russian equals speaks russian that was like literally their like analysis like there were so many maps that would just label russian speaking areas of ukraine as oh, pro russian yeah, yeah, rather than like no they, they just speak that language <laughs> they might have different beliefs yeah, i mean zelensky speaks russian first like. <laughs> no he speaks english first um but you know but, like yeah, i no, always wonder um uh, sorry to cut you off um i was no, no, like I, I i'm always like i always laugh at these like really idiotic differentiations between like western type of person and the traditional mm. or russian or soviet whatever they say you know the progressives and the regressives and i'm always like laughing because georgia has this constantly there they the entire politics is, is based around this progressive versus regressive and um and i'm always like are you are you serious they're like colored hair must mean progressive you like like traditional clothing must mean regressive. Like if you know English, you are progressive. If you don't know English, you speak Russian, you are regressive. If you like sushi, you're progressive. If you do not like sushi, <laughs> but like traditional dumplings, you are regressive. And I'm always like, I, um, I so use, if, like, if I you speak English, but I say a lot of racist stuff. <laughs> But then you progress. I'm progressing. I, I'm keeping score here. I don't like sushi, but I really do like Georgian dumplings. So regressive. Oh, shit. Regressive. Okay. I really do like the dumplings as well. Oh, they're so good. I do speak Russian. Regressive. Yeah. You, 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 you would be like. Hair. You would like break the system. You know what I mean? You're like, what is she? Like, I break the yeah. system because I'm like Pink American hair, raised. Eat sushi. 
yeah. And I'm like, everyone's like, how, how am I not like a bleeding heart American, like running around with my flag or something. Like, right. So like, it's, and I'm like, I always joke because I always get mad at like the homophobic people because they'll be like, we don't mind gays. We just don't like it when they have earrings and colored hair. You know, like that's like their thing. And I'm just like, that's so dumb. What's wrong with you? Because like yeah. a lot of my friends don't have any of that and they're gay. Right. And and they're like, but this is like they, they think like colored hair, like certain clothing is like a Western like lgbt propaganda thing and then Mm. and i think that's so crazy and then you ask people who literally look like colored hair with like or gay or whatever or just not or just like Mm. into like club music or something and they're like oh yeah that person shouldn't be let in this club because they look too traditional you know and it's like everyone actually plays along it's not just this one type everybody like from both like everybody's in like the cultural divide they're all playing their parts you know and it's like really difficult to move forward and all of these things also play up into uh, a lot of protests so people are like hey i like you know i like i don't know metallica and like hip-hop or actually hip-hop is more regressive in georgia regressives like hip-hop um (laughs) (laughs) uh, techno music is progressive here you know i have to be like berlin like berlin is like so techno like is the is like and you're like, well, if I'm young and I'm also like a fem- or feminist or I'm, I don't even know, I'm not maybe a feminist, but I'm like, oh, I'm just like, you know, 18 and just like think like women rule or whatever, women power. I've heard it like everywhere <laughs> on Instagram and I like to wear, you know, like short skirts or whatever it is. Right. And then you're like, oh, I must be a progressive <laughs> and I must, I should go to this protest because that's all the progressives go to this protest and they should have this politics as well, you know? And this is how like George is divided and that's how it actually works. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much simpler. I, I actually, I yearn for it. <laughs> um, okay. So unless there's anything, the only thing I wanted to say we're getting a bit all over the place now. Um, yeah, I, I think we can move to, because we've talked about Saakashvili, the 2008 Russo-Georgian War, um, which I think as a pretext, we kind of have to explain. We've talked about Ajara, but they actually don't play a huge part in this as far as I know. We have to explain Abkhazia and South Ossetia um, as these, if I'm not mistaken, two autonomous uh they were assrs in soviet georgia if i'm not mistaken yes yes uh-huh yeah i believe so and i think it's uh i think they both had the same status yeah because i had uh, didn't have that status they had let lesser status right because that is just like muslim georgians it's a little a little different yeah yeah like i i was looking at a language map and but yeah it, yeah <laughs> but, the, like, the, but the language thing is also strange because there's Migrelians and Svans who are considered Georgian and they I don't understand one word in their language yeah yeah like I, yeah, the language map of the Caucasus region is terrifying uh, uh, <laughs> to, to look at uh, um, I'm sure it works or whatever but you know uh, uh, whereas Abkhazia and South Ossetia like Ossetian is like related to Kurdish uh, it's like an uh, Iranian language, and then Abkhaz is a Caucasian language. That's like all the languages related to are in kind of like Dagestan kind of region of 
of Russia. Um, but the, the, yeah, so the issue then becomes is then when Georgia becomes independent and Georgian nationalism kind of takes over, uh, um, there's a great deal of uh, political movements that don't view, uh, uh, want a kind of centralized country where the uh, uh, autonomy of these regions is basically not respected. Um, is that a fair description of what kind of leads to this? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a rise of hyper-nationalism in Georgia. Um, you can also say, to be very generous, there's also nationalism in Ossetia and Abkhazia as well, because a lot of the to a lot of nationalism was being mobilized against the Soviet Union, right? So it was like, yeah. because it had this internationalist or the Soviet citizens, so a counter to that would be, would be to be Christian, you know, a religious counter and to be Georgian or Ossetian or Abkhazian. So yeah, definitely. It's a time of like hyper-nationalism being very much, um, you know, strengthening of nationalism on both sides. So Georgians did Tzviet Gamsakhurdia kind of, um, you know, he, he stoked a lot of the, problems by doing some actions uh, against Ossetians, like charging on their entrance with thousands of Georgians that felt like Ossetians felt like that was threatening. There was like a lot of things that happened. Um, then it ended up in, in very, I mean, so once you have neighbors like burn each other's homes down, like, and like kill each other and slaughter each other, I just don't think you could really go back from that. Like there's something that happens that's so broken um, that just can't be explained away. And I think that it's still after what it's 2022 and it's been like over 30 years and still there's this inability to really confront um, what really happened. Georgians don't talk about it. They just blame Russia. And I think that's a really unfair thing to, to blame fully. Right. Um, Because Mm -hmm. the responsibilities also lies on the Georgian side and also on the Ossetian side as well, because it was pretty, pretty horrific. I think, again, the, like I've translated oral histories from 2008 or, and I also translated some earlier. Uh, and I learned a lot from these oral histories, actually. I learned the most from them. I also, that's where I realized, I was like, wow, everything I'm hearing on the news or discussions have nothing to do with what happened <laughs> because people have such a different, under, like the way they tell the stories are so different. Almost always it's Ossetians that, and it's always like, the neighbors, like they, a lot of them really love each other. You know, there's like so much love between Ossetians and George. They live together and these, they they say it was the outsiders, like Georgians coming in from Tbilisi and, and, and agitating people. And a lot of them talk about this instant nationalism that emerges where people are like, how did you change your mind so quickly? When did you become like this? You know, like yesterday we were all singing, dancing together, having like, you know, supra eating. And all of a sudden now we are like, there's this uneasiness um, being like, oh, you're a Seti and you're Georgian. And so there's this this stuff that happens. And then a lot of times also Setians would try to, whenever some some hooligan, you know, some kind of undesired person, like that was like like 15-year-old, there were always kids, like 14, 15-year-old who burned down Georgians or even vice versa houses. Neighbors would actually try to put them out, you know. They try to help each other as much as it, like, help, like they could. So a lot of this stuff happened. And then, you know, there was, mis- like just even looking at war now, there was – 
a lot of um, like fog of war stuff. So Georgian side would say Ossetian is just like murdered and raped young girls. Like it could be completely unconfirmed. In the same event that may or may not happen, then the Ossetians would say Georgians have raped Ossetian girls, which would just make each other crazy, right? They would just get so then people would start shooting their friends or people, their neighbors in retaliation. Some insanely bad things happen very quickly, might I add. And now looking at the situation now, I'm like, oh, I could see how this devolves very badly. So this had happened in 2008 was another time that this happened again, where um, there had been, Ossetians have been trying to get also uh, Russian attention as well. Like it's just because they're part, like they have Russia as a protectorate. It doesn't mean that they're getting enough attention. Mm. And I do think partly that was also what was needed because like Ossetians, uh, also have agency, which is like this talk, like they also have, they also are trying to lobby Russia against Georgia, right? They're trying to do the same thing that Georgia's trying to do against Russia and Ukraine is doing or did before, you know, all this happened. So there's definitely a lot of smaller nations and smaller people trying to use bigger powers to play each other off. Like that's just very basic and has to be acknowledged. Um, so 2008 war, I think ha- has an international setting where it's like February, they had Kosovo declaring dependence, you know, there's NATO talk, a very sort of overly confident president, Saakashvili, who I think might have thought, like, we all think that, that he might've thought that us was going to be on his side. Like, because there were clashes. He just escalates what was already happening, but he does escalate it. He does think he can take Tsin Wali back. And um, he does try, you know, uh, that ends very badly for him. And it's like, I just learned when I was, I had this great African professor and he taught me, he's like, never trust the Americans, what they tell you. He goes, they told Saddam Hussein he should invade Kuwait. And they didn't know, like Saddam thought that he had the green light. And then when he did invade, mm. he was like surprised himself. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know. He taught me this like years ago when I was like younger. And after that, I was like, never trust, like make sure that when you do anything militarily, that you actually have the backing that you think you have because you like, yeah. you know, because a certain advisor, a certain like ambassador can tell you something. And then later on, you find out you're on your own. So that's why I'm like, did, did Misha actually think he had the backing? Maybe. I, I think it's it's, uh, it's very reminiscent of uh, um, something, the whole uh, promise that was made to the, the former Soviet Union of NATO would never go like an inch east, which is always get it in writing. Exactly. Can't prove that now. Yeah. <laughs> Don't trust what a random guy named like Dylan who comes in a Hawaiian shirt, who's just on the front lines with you, who uh, doesn't speak any other language but English is telling you what to do. I mean, yeah, I think that that's like, I mean, that's one of the things I'm really curious of is, you know, 30 years from now, what are the like, what is history? I mean, like, particularly of the of of the you know russian invasion currently happening right now is that Mm. like i mean because i i covered this for work for like months especially of like you know the violations of treaties from both sides that were avoided 
by everyone in the media except for those who were having to report on it until then all of a sudden then like the Russian invasion did happen. And I'm really curious in the sense of exactly that of, yeah, don't trust the Americans is that what's the entire story behind all this and then leading up to it? Because I given Russia's invasion is like absolutely like still bonkers to me at the end of the day, but I, I, I still don't believe. Are you, are you saying Ukraine the, or in Georgia? I'm sorry. Which no, the, the the current situation just currently in Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry. Oh, I should sorry. I should have I specified. For a second I was like, what? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 perfectly fine. I didn't specify at the beginning. Um but yeah, I'm very curious in like 30 years what to then like like what are we then going to uncover in the sense of like, you know, whether it be like declassification. I mean, cuz like think about it, in like the Vietnam War, there like the declassification of of the like Gulf of Tonkin came like what 20 years later in the pentagon papers no, like eight years later but it, still like yeah. you know like there is like a lot of the stuff that then like the u.s does to either push a country into war or push itself into war is always omitted from histories <laughs> until uh you know it's decades a, it, later it's a very uncomfortable tactic but it's one that seems to be working for is if you mention this stuff uh um uh, five ten 20 years after the fact it turns out no one cares exactly yeah and i'm not like i mean again like i'm not saying i have any of the answers or whatever but i am curious of how the u.s is involved in the escalation because it seems like that is massively a story that that is untold it's something that i've mentioned on the podcast before about like this compulsion i think a lot of people have in a moment like this with the invasion of ukraine to like try and pay attention to everything to like keep up to date and You'll drive yourself insane. You, you will. You'll, you'll see horrifying stuff that you're probably not prepared to see. And uh, the example I give is actually with the Russo-Georgian War, where like major publications in the West had to retract stuff like a year after the war uh, um, happened. It, like it's this is not like, and yeah, the internet has made this a lot worse in many ways as well. But um, I don't want to. I don't want to fixate too much on on the war. Um, uh, because it's upsetting, uh, mostly. Um, but I, I am interested in how this affects politics modern day. But I, I think before that, I do want to talk about a movie that I only found out about because of some of your writing. Um, which is, I believe, in Georgia, it was called. Uh, it's an American-made movie. Before we get started, but like, it, it was it was called Five Days of August in Georgia, but an international release was called Five. Uh, Five Days of War. Um, How could they change it like that? <laughs> five Days of August sounds like a 500 Days of Summer <laughs> kind of uh, 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 indie rom-com. Um, because people like war movies, that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it's, People get off on I, war. I, I haven't, absolutely, and I haven't watched, I only watched the trailer. I haven't had time to actually watch the whole film yet. Um one of the the narratives that I find very hard to believe is, is centered around journalists, but like the the people at the station are like, no one's paying attention. The Beijing Olympics are on. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like not that many people watch the Olympics. I, I think a war would take precedent. I, I don't know. But um, Andy Garcia plays uh, uh, um, Saakashvili, which... <laughs> He's not in the trailer a lot. I don't think they could actually afford to get him to say stuff. But I think uh, my two favorite pieces of information 
about this movie is uh, it never got an official uh, in Georgian language DVD release, um, not even subtitles, um, even though it premiered in Georgia. And then the second of all, that like Saakashvili denies putting any government money into this, but like one person from his government and another person from his party are credited as producers. See, was it, is this movie at all acknowledged in, in, in Georgia? Because from my perspective, it feels like way too soon to release a movie about a war. Like there was one year between the war happening and then them making a movie. <laughs> well, I was not in Georgia during that time, so I have no idea what it was like. Um, yeah. So I come in mostly after during the Georgian dream period where sort of Misha is like known for, you know, raping little boys in prison. Um, so not so much pro Misha stuff at that time, though now yeah. he's been rehabilitated, I think so much. And he came back and, you know, I don't know if you know the details. Of oh, the-, the, yeah, he came back and then the he was arrested. <laughs> I got, you know, the only thing that makes me happy, the only thing that makes me happy lately is knowing he mm. has severe FOMO. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I think, okay, this I think leads us quite nicely into present day Georgian politics. Um, for those who maybe don't know, could you describe Saakashvili's FOMO? How is this manifested? It's everywhere. <laughs> He's. He's somebody who, like, I mean, if you see him, he does these crazy antics all the time. He did it in Ukraine. You know, when he, you know, he became, mm-hmm. like, a politician in Ukraine, if people don't know that. It's kind of a crazy yeah, no, journey. No, what's governor, it? yeah. Governor Odessa. of Odessa. And then he was, like, what? part of this. Yeah, he was stripped of- <laughs> Sorry. He, Sorry, go on, go he was on. part <laughs> of this, like, reform council or something. I can't recall exactly the last thing. Uh, Zelensky had appointed him as some kind of reformer. Anyway, so... A very strange journey. So that just means the guy is like, well, in some ways you can say, wow, he thinks of this whole thing as a regional, regional solidarity. But it's this whole thing of how he envisions himself as now as this sort of anti-Russian, anti-Putin crusader. He still styles himself as I'm the guy Putin hates the most. You know, like he really (laughs) likes that. He mentions, he calls everyone Russian or Putin. Like he was like, like attacking his guard saying that Putin slaves or Mm. something like that, you know? So he's somebody who's like obsessed with himself, obsessed with these theatrics. Um, He's like the ultimate theater kid. And so he snuck back into Georgia, got himself arrested, was happy as hell to get arrested. Like that's another weird thing. Before he me. gets arrested, he goes, guys, by the way, meet my Ukrainian girlfriend. We're going to get married soon. Ooh, la, Forgot la. about him. But then everybody was like, aren't you married? Like, to <laughs> To this woman this, from the Netherlands. Yes, okay, Sandra. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's <laughs> like loved. By the way, she's very loved. So so his oh, wife is like this dignified lady who everyone loves, mm-hmm. really. Like, well, polit- if you if like the political party. So she actually learned Megrelian, like this like dialect, which should be his own language, not dialect. But anyway, so she's very much admired. And also it's a traditional country where nobody likes like marrying your lover you know what i mean like that kind of thing is not like looked upon as a good thing they're like have your lovers but could you keep them out of sight kind of country 
And so all of a sudden, this, hang on, I feel like this is. I'm sorry. I just want to say this sounds like he's trying to rebrand Georgia as not Eastern European but Southern European. This seems very. I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah, because like the 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 president of Portugal has his mistress, but he still hasn't divorced his wife yet because he's just like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm a good Catholic boy. I'm never touching my wife ever again. No, he said I'm going to actually start a family with her. So that actually dropped his ratings. They were like, ooh. Then. Uh, plus, plus, it was like like the worst nightmare of every Georgian woman is like a beautiful Ukrainian girl. I mean, like because <laughs> the entire like Georgian men talk like like their entire fantasy is Ukrainian Russian woman as being a lot more beautiful or sexier or easier, whatever. Like their understanding than Georgian women. So Georgian women are already feeling like threatened by blonde, beautiful, you know, cause they're told blondes and beautiful are beautiful, you know, darkies are, so, you know, we're not as beautiful. So like, so there's already a severe threat, right? Imagine. So you're bringing this like woman, it's like absolutely like stereotypical Ukrainian woman. Everyone's like, she's going to be my wife. And um, so yeah, everybody doesn't like that. And then later on when he's in prison and starts his hunger strikes and doing these theatrical things, yes. his, lover other lover debuts their illegitimate child on tv who's like hi daddy or something like that it's like, yeah. Really, it's Hell like yeah, that's what awesome. is happening <laughs> like it's like a, it's really it's like a telenovela you know like you have Sakashvili and his entire force are his lovers and wives and stuff like that's his entire like staff <laughs> It's like all these women willing to like die for this man, do everything. Yeah, he actually died him. in season three and came back. But that, yeah, that's um, the entire staff of your your lovers and illegitimate children because it's now Southern European familia, <laughs> familia. Yeah, we're keeping in the family. <laughs> um, this he- is wonderful. I did not know any of this about Sakashvili. Um, I'm not going to lie. I have been distracted by the blinding lights of the Ivanishvili family. Um, I could not see the beauty right in front of me. Yes. Uh, of They're so boring compared to <laughs> Misha is the star. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's fair. I see this now. Um, Benzina, I'm sorry. Move over, Benzina. So, um, yeah, but one, one thing you alluded to earlier that like maybe with the Sakashvili comeback is like, part of the topic is the like a certain kind of continuity between these administrations, right? Like if Saakashvili, like the rhetoric is one thing and maybe the like political punditry, I don't know the right word is another thing, but an example you brought up a couple of times in your writing is this Liberty law. I think it's called with the like outlawing pro- progressive taxation. It's really like really regressive tax regime and really like strictly codified um, that was another very blunt Sakashvili quote. I don't remember it exactly. Like, yes, the point is to straitjacket the, the 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 country so that they can't change these tax laws. Um, but then that's um, codified in the Constitution under the Georgian Dream. And so, like, what is like? First of all, like, what what is the continuity? Like, what isn't continuous between the parties? And how is Sakashvili? Is there any change? Will it be going back? Can he just pick up where Georgian Dream left off? Like, what? Where where can we see this going forward? Yeah. So, one second. Sorry, my cat is destroying. Something. One second. 
star the star the of the show. We've loved your cats. Yeah, yeah we've yeah. been enjoying the cat. <laughs> we have to keep all of this in now because we've mentioned the cat. Yes, <laughs> she like. I was never going to edit the cat out. Yeah. Yeah. I know that she problem. just keeps playing with the like bags. It's so loud. So um, yeah, so I always think Georgian Dream is like exact same politics of Saakashvili, but without the, the you know the the zealot frontman, and they just do things in a very boring way, but they continue the neoliberalism, and they just do a little bit, maybe a little bit dash of you know more Euro European association agreement mm-hmm. kind of stuff you know so um so they carried on we fought really hard against that when the new constitution was being written we worked really hard to get that uh liberty act out so we had a whole campaign and people were involved and the best that we had was like oh maybe in seven years it'll expire but like they didn't want to spook business um and at the end of the day like Bidina, like, you know, even even Julian, Georgian Dream, like, believes in this free market, very let let the free market decide kind of politics. Yeah. Um, and so they are against progressive taxation. I don't think they have the um I don't think they have the knowledge or the ideology not to have any of those things. So Georgian Dream is just, I always say, less repressive version as well, you know. So they're, they're the police here, despite whatever the opposition says, and there has been a couple of incidents. I mean, I come from the U.S. where the police are, like, terrifying. <laughs> like, when I see a policeman in, in, in the U.S., I'm just like, okay, he's going to kill me. Like, they're very cruel, and they can get away with just anything. Georgian police are, like, so nice comparatively i'm just like i don't even i've never seen police that nice so i don't know like maybe i come from a very you know different experience where everybody just seems a lot less repressive but i've just i've personally never felt like threatened by georgian police as as others so during sakashvili they were much more repressive and they were sort of locking up all these people, all these young men, there was rumors of rape. Well, there were videos, actually, not just rumors, videos of rape. Um, so he was a very, you know, again, you have to have to enact these free market principles and what I also call primitive accumulation. You have to have very authoritarian, repressive mechanisms to do it because people just are not going to do it otherwise, you know? They're just not going to... Um, give up a lot of their lands or their their houses or you know be forced coerced in, into things without a fight so i think mm. the repression was is is always like comes with a package of neoliberal reforms in some ways georgian dream had the luxury since sakashvili had already done so many of the reform packets right they didn't have to have the repressive mechanism because Saakashvili already did it. So they were just already riding on all the things that were already done with Saakashvili. Because Saakashvili got everybody used to free market things pretty quickly, actually. I'm always surprised how easily Georgian um, politicians are able to keep people in line or bring them bring them back in line or get them used to stuff. I always think that people are going to protest a lot more and it just doesn't happen. Any of the protests that really do happen in Georgia have been around mostly mobilizing around what drug legalization because it was like mainly 
a nightclub that was doing it, you know, against like being like, hey, people want to do drugs and like hang out and it's great for tourism, you know, like that yeah, was Barra, a big Barra thing. wrote a song about that. That's the, 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 the only political stance Barra has taken. <laughs> it's legalized. It's legalized. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> oh my God. And it's been against Russian whatever. It was a Russian MP sitting on a chair in parliament that like that was mobilized. Huge people, like huge amounts of people were mobilized during Ukraine war. Right now it's been mobilized. So every time there's been a huge mobilization, it's been mostly about uh, political parties, the opposition organizing. And it's usually around using anti-Russia sentiments, which they have helped to develop, of course, to then channel into political demands they'll make. Like, oh, now we want these and these uh, demands that have nothing to do with the initial protest, but about something that that's going to give them a leg up, you know, in, in government. Fair enough. Um, I think that's a, do we have anything else we need to talk about with, with, uh, sorry, I put in the notes pictures of the, uh, um, I, what looked like bus stops with the NATO flag on it. Foreign policy priorities, the integration. That's That's Gucci. That's the Libertarian Party. Oh, Ah. towards the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, That was a very, because they were, they're like anti-lockdown. Yeah, it was was a very strange. Very, very popular. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, one thing actually I, I, I did need to ask in terms of, because uh, I've heard you mention this before, but like for people who don't understand the context of Georgia, you do have a flat tax. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Of, I believe, 20% on all incomes. Yes. Yes. And VAT is okay. 18%. So most people are paying uh, that plus 2% of pensions. About 40% is what most people are actually paying because they're spending all of their paycheck because it's so little the wages are. Mm. So they're getting double taxed. Actually. That's fair. So um, I think it, I, I have a question to ask oh, yeah. that if not, if no one else has a question, because it's only tangentially related to Georgian politics. And I wasn't going to ask it, but I was going through your Twitter and I saw several comments about Kanye West. I love Kanye And since we've talked about, Certain, you're in good oh company. You have no idea. I have this whole theory about Kanye West and Putin, and how Kim mm-hmm. Kardashian yes. oh, is so Ukraine. I read, I, I read. Wait, I didn't know wait, the Ukraine what? part. So <laughs> I just read the quote about him saying that he is Putin because culture is oil. Yeah, 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 but yeah. What is the what is the you what is the Kim angle? Okay, so I had this. So right before, that's because Rob I followed so this stuff too closely. I've been wanting to tell us someone for so long. <laughs> so, <laughs> so right before Russia invaded Ukraine, so Kanye was having his like crazy moments where he was like, you know, obsessively trying to go after Kim. And so he was like, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, Kimberly run back to me and stuff like that. Right. And Kim was like with a new guy, Pete. Right. And yeah. so Davidson. <laughs> he's like, he wouldn't stop. Then he started attacking Pete you know, and all Kim's friends like nonstop on like Instagram, like going crazy. If you saw it, like he was posting like every two minutes and writing crazy stuff. And, uh, and right before that he was with uh, Julia Fox. He was trying to like sort of use his muse or whatever, but like, again, that didn't work out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And then like, 
he made that video where he like cut off the head. Oh, he no, sorry, bur- buried alive Pete and then cut off his head and stuff. And he was like, it's yeah. art. And so my whole thing was like, Putin <laughs> was like Ukraine was like Kimberly. And he was like, so Putin was like, that speech was like, run back to me, Kimberly. You know, like that speech about Ukraine he gave right before he invaded. And <laughs> that was sort of like Kanye's thing. And then yeah. I also joked and Georgians are going to kill me. But I was like, I guess... I guess Georgia found out there were the Julia Fox of the relationship and not Kimberly because <laughs> clearly he was all about Ukraine and like not so much Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then he like could, because he couldn't get like, you know, Kimberly back, he starts attacking just like, I mean, again, this is like, I hate to degrade this like war into this thing, but like in my <laughs> pop cultural thing that was no, right. it's, it's, I it's important for people to, to understand. Anyway, I don't mean to be insensitive. No, it's, it's just like I think it's like, very <laughs> fitting in a way. Half our audience are people who will get mad, and the other half are people who will thank you for explaining it this way. <laughs> it helps them understand better. Yeah, but he really did start like a culture war right before it, like because he he mm. started naming all this like other artists as well, and they we got pissed and took sides. And do you remember he even posted like this whole thing where he like. Had the one Avengers team, and, yeah, yeah. When yeah. one team versus second, yeah, the fight out with Kid Cudi over this. What? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Whichever, whichever team futures on, I'm on that team. Futures on no team, but no. Did, I think he's on the thing. I think he's on he's Kanye's on Kanye. team. Oh, yeah, he's on yeah. Kanye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because 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 him. they started hanging out after the the whole divorce, like and the breakup stuff. That's and, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good good company. That's, that's the Future best is company. Kazakhstan. Like, you're, on, you're with me. Um, no, the reason, yeah, Lennon made uh, Kim Kardashian break up with Kanye. By the way, um, <laughs> I, the reason, the reason I ask about it is because we've been talking about Barra a little bit. You know, a the rat, the the rapping son of the the Georgia's richest, man, richest Georgia. man, yeah. And we've talked about a certain clown of a character in in Saakashvili, and they're using like the like Saakashvili will part of whatever his political comeback is will be about using geopolitical like actual war for you know his theater and of course then we have like like when that's the actual state of politics um it's only natural for you know a somewhat observant performer like kanye to be like why don't i just incorporate the geopolitics into my whole performance ongoing performance uh in in media um so it was very fitting i thought um i think he sees i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to more comparisons that's all i'll say <laughs> well I, another one, I'll say, Kanye single-handedly brought Kim and, and Balenciaga, Demna, Georgian designer, an Armenian muse together, and they've become the most unstoppable, like, pop, cultural, whatever, trendsetters, mm, designer, I whatever. Hate this. And that's an Armenian-Georgian oh, no, no, th- connection right there. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, um, I... The only thing I remember is I'm a massive freak for um, the Eurovision Song Contest. I will watch the like national selection competitions. And the only thing I remember from like the last handful of years of like Armenia's national selection competition is every young woman in Armenia has basically decided, oh yeah, Kim, Kard- Kim, the, the, the Kardashians, this is, yeah. this is how we do it. They all are just doing the, the, the big back, uh, a ponytail, the heavy mascara, they've just figured it out. And they're just like, yeah. oh, this is what we do. Cool. She's like Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is. 
I, you know, it's funny. <laughs> I like dissed Kim. I just said she's an oligarch, and like people were like got mad at me. Like right, I, I could say all this stuff about like Russia or Ukraine or whatever. Almost no one comments. Oh, yeah. Like I say anything about Kim. And they're like, she's <laughs> trying her best. She's the best. <laughs> no, it's 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 nothing until you bring up Beyonce or like oh, one of the, or one of the members of uh, BDS in in Korea, like the, the people who support those. I thought on you Twitter. were talking about BDS. <laughs> <laughs> what am I the talking? Palestinian? <laughs> yeah. Well, also actually BTS. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, but also, the, there's a lot of people. If you bring up BDS, there's a lot of people oh, yeah, who yeah, get mad course. at you yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for other reasons, for other uh, racist reasons. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, yeah. The 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 beehive is also terrifying yeah. you can you can say whatever you want about the russian ukraine oh, barbs are also pretty bad too barbs yeah yeah the Nicki minaj stands uh, yeah. oh yeah true. yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a weird way we've ended this episode yeah. about george it's but the stands there really is like armies of people now dedicated to stars or whatever it's it's become it's a really it's a really weird, strange world. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but like the 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 uh, the other half of this dynamic is that let's say something like nationalism that's completely when it's completely drained of like a national project is just Stan culture. It's like Stan politics. It's like why are you you just stand. You know, exactly. I stand by nation. <laughs> I stand exactly. nothing else to the concept of Georgia I have in my head that was probably never real to begin with. Yeah. But like but on a serious note, like I felt very uncomfortable in the Georgia in Georgia be, being here last two weeks. Like it's so tense and xenophobic, nationalistic. Mm-hmm. I have not seen it like this. Um this bad. It's made me very uncomfortable, nervous. Um, I see all these like so-called leftists posting things and saying things I would never imagined uh, they would. So it's it's a very like I can only imagine what that's going to be like in Ukraine. You know, like it's going to yeah. be a very ugly world, especially for anything left uh, next few years, even more. Um, I'm not looking forward to it, to be honest with I you. Mean- yeah, this seems like a push, like to for Ukraine right now. Like what we are, what we are like um, experiencing, um, to like super far right nationalism, etc. I mean, if you look at how they wouldn't even celebrate um, International Women's Day, like you had like some like university students uh, making calling it a Soviet holiday. Yeah, so calling it a Soviet holiday, mm. and like it's like this revival of everything that is, you know. Soviet is Russian and is bad, therefore. So, any yeah. kind of yeah, we're, labor we're, holiday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, is, uh, yeah, I say this as I draw the black sun on everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're already, like we're already getting some good reports of like uh, pro-Russian, pro-Putin being like weaponized against the left in like Bulgaria and stuff like that. So he even did like a a, a letter to the Western left. <laughs> Oh, for Putin. Putin? Yeah, he okay. did like a he did like a recent. I th- I don't know. Remember if it was, I mean, it was like a press conference or speech or whatever. But he like criticized the Western left for not supporting him. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I hate this world. Yeah. Okay. That's the big, uh, uh, the big letter that we didn't read in the last episode. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Sorry that we uh, that I ended it on a on a little bit of a ridiculous note than on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's going to get grim, and uh, that farcical example of it is also really grim. Um, but to wrap things up. Thank you so much, Supa, for coming on and guiding us through the wonderful recent history of, I want to say Georgia, but I feel like it's mostly of Sakashvili. Um, <laughs> he's so enigmatic. <laughs> um, where can people find you and your work? Um, well, you can listen to my podcast, Reimagining Soviet Georgia, where we try to discuss Soviet period of Georgia, even though we did a 2008 episode but we try to focus mostly on the soviet period and i hope that a lot of people can learn and appreciate the really rich soviet history and other than that i'm you know i'm a labor union leader here and i mostly organize workers and strikes and so on so i can be on twitter if you're interested (laughs) i get a lot of criticism (laughs) <laughs> we'll put links to your Twitter, uh, um, your uh, your podcast, and your writing in the show notes. And I guess the general shout out is: if you are in Georgia, join a union, join Sopa's union. Maybe you can't, but you know why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and with that, we will say goodbye and see you on Friday. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Bye, bye. Thank you.